This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usim, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action. Three words. Leadership in action. Not two words. Right. <laughs> we didn't really think about when we named the show. <laughs> That's right. But, but our children did. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, they always come up with <laughs> they do. the things we might not want to realize. <laughs> right. So this is leadership, pause in, pause, action. Sirius XM, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Jeff Klein. And I'm, I'm Ann Greenhall. Yeah, I'm sitting in the host chair this evening. Excited to be here, and uh, our good buddy Mike Yusim, uh is somewhere north of us. Right. Probably, I picture him in a place, place with forests, smaller mountains, and some lakes or ponds. I agree. Yes. Right? So yes, we'll wish him uh, a very good time in the wonderful state of Maine. We have Jim Harder, Dr. Jim Harder, with us, uh, and we'll bring him on in a couple minutes. And and he's one of the authors of Gallup's new book, and it's called It's the Manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and underneath that title, the subtitle is a statement, and the statement is this. Gallup finds that the quality of managers and team leaders is the single biggest factor in your organization's long-term success. So we're going to hear a little bit about more about this book. We're certainly going to hear a little bit more about Jim, uh, who's the chief scientist at uh, Workplace for Gallup. So the part of the organization is really, I mean, for decades now, yeah. it's been focused on collecting data and, and really creating actionable conclusions for managers and executives all over the world. Um, and to me, this is, I mean, when we think about leadership – uh, it we say this all the time on the show. It exists, or the opportunity for leadership exists in those spaces between people, right? And one of the most important spaces is that space between manager and employee, mm-hmm. right? right? So, and at all levels, yeah. So, let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's officially welcome Dr. Jim Harder to the program. How are you, Jim? Hi, Jeff and Ann. Great to be with you today. Oh, thank I, you I for joining you just- us. I think you just answered the question about why managers are so important. <laughs> well, you, you, may, you may not have any more questions. For me. I, oh, yes, we do. I, I think we're going to be okay because one of the things that I have learned from a, a long association with and admiration of the Gallup organization and, and your work and Jim Clifton's work is the things that I believe by hunch and by personal experience, uh, you have proven through rigorous analysis. So right. let us let us be sure to to add your perspective on many things um, to this conversation. Well, great to be with you. All right. Well, let me um, just to, to say a couple more words about you. Um, I have it here that you have led more than oh. 1,000 studies of workplace effectiveness, uh, including the largest ongoing meta-analysis of human potential and business unit performance. You've been published all over the place, business journals, academic journals, um, you have uh, other books, including 12, The Elements of Great Managing, Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements. Um, and so we're, we're delighted 
to have you on the show and, and to talk. And, and I'd like to round out your bio a little bit before we even get into the content of the book. Um, and we have a question we ask very many of our guests, Jim, and that is, if you think back to when you were like, <laughs> I don't know, we'll call it 14 or 15 years old, did, were you saying to yourself one day, I'm going to be the chief scientist of Workplace for Gallup? <laughs> and if not, what were you telling yourself you might be doing? I was not saying that, <clears throat> to be real clear. But um, I guess at that age, um, I I was aware that um, I liked numbers, that mm-hmm. I was good with numbers. I was aware that I um, had some success writing. I got some feedback about that through my education and, and some good teachers. And um, I knew that I was interested in people. Mm-hmm. So, but I hadn't put those together in terms of what that might result in in terms of a career. In fact, I didn't figure that out until um, I kind of got lucky after, you know, toward the end of my undergraduate work. Okay. All right. So if we would have asked you at 14 or 15, what, it, what do you think you would have projected yourself out as doing? Or, or did, you have, did you have any deep loves at that point? I didn't. Even though I, um, my, one of my strengths is high focus, I did not um, have that crystallized yet in my mind. Okay. All right. And then just walk us through a, a, a tiny bit um, what you study within undergrad and then, you know, the the first kind of steps of your career as you graduate. Yeah. So my, my undergraduate work was in business okay, um, with an emphasis in, in marketing. And so I thought at that time I'd probably end up being a market researcher. I knew I loved research. I knew I loved studying people. So that kind of put those three <laughs> things together. But then <clears throat> toward the end of my um, undergraduate work. This is where I got lucky. I went to the internship office at the University of Nebraska, and I uh, completed some applications. Uh, and I, I signed up for two internships. Uh, one was this is why I think you know personally I think internships are so important even earlier than that stage, but mm-hmm. um, even at the high school stage, you just to open your mind to different things. One was at a at a, a, a travel agency, and the other one was. Um, with a company called Selection Research, where I did some interviews and did a research project. And, hmm. um, and then after that, I was invited. So this is a company that Don Clifton founded. He's one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. And he invited me to, to do some research with him. Um, and so I thought I better not turn this down. Um, and his whole approach to research was we're going to study what's right with people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to concentrate all of our energy on studying uh, what, what leads to success. And uh, so that was really motivational for me, and I was able to do all my graduate work in, in psychological measurement um, while I was working with him and other colleagues. And uh, so it's just a great way to learn. I mean, it's yeah. – uh, um, well, first, it's a lot of time. You know, it's a lot of hours, but it's a great way to learn because you're applying your, what you're learning in school almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And uh, for our listeners, Jim, if you would, would, would you say a little bit about that that focus on what's right with people and Clifton strengths and, and you know, really the, the just large mark that the Gallup organization as well as others have made on the world uh, with positive psychology? Yeah, so we've spent decades really studying across a wide variety of jobs um, what leads to success. Mm-hmm. And at the time that Don Clifton started this work, 
uh, most of psychology was studying what's wrong with people. Now, that's important, too. We have to know that. But almost all the volumes were around studying uh, failure and studying uh, dysfunction and disease. And so Don said, there's, there's a big gap here we've got to fill. Um, and so we collected uh, hundreds and hundreds of studies, um, just about any job you can think of, studying successful individuals, successful teams, and successful environments. That all led up to an accumulation of data. And, and Don then, he, he, he came across, we both kind of came across a researcher named Phil Stone at Harvard, uh, who's an expert in content analysis. Phil really encouraged Don because he said, I know you're doing all these in-depth interviews with people and studying their strengths. But if you don't um, transition this to this thing called the Internet, it won't take off at the level that you need it to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he built a tool, uh, partnered with you know a bunch of colleagues, but he, he, he built he was the author of a tool called uh, Clifton Strengths. Mm-hmm. And it measures each person's individual uh, strengths um, so that they can know what they lead with. Um, as an individual, so it really compares you to yourself yeah. and uh, helps you know what you lead with, what types of strengths you, you lead with. And the, the whole goal of it was really not just to, to test people, it was more so to, to create more productive conversations between people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to, to do that, we've got to start with who people naturally are, their innate tendencies, not um, just assume that everybody can be anything they want to be. Let me do a quick reset here if I can, Anna, and then I'll hand it over to you. Uh, For our listeners, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm here with Ann Greenhall, and our guest tonight is Jim Harder of Gallup, who is co-author of the book, It's the Manager. If at any point during our conversation you have a question about something we're discussing, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Oh, it's great to have you on, and I want you to know that Jeff and I have both taken the Clifton Strength Finder. Absolutely. Jeff, do you remember your top number one strength? Top number one strength? Or um, even one of the top five. Strategy. Strategy was one of my top five. Yeah. All right, but one of my number one, <laughs> responsibility. Uh, <laughs> I could vouch for that. that. That fits with your comment about your manager. Does it? How so? Well, you said your manager, uh, he had an element of responsibility as well. He didn't talk about people, you know, when they left yeah, the room. Yeah, that's true. I think that's some of that kind of, yeah. you noticing that, I think, was maybe due to some to that particular strength. Strength. Look at that. Well, and, and Jim, much in the same way that you would call, ironically, a really tall basketball player, Tiny, my nickname for Ms. Responsibility and Green Hall is Slacker, right. which even some of our listeners would know. That's, that's kind of just how I like to refer to her father. And, and here's what's really prefer, perverse. If I catch him calling someone else slacker, <laughs> I'm really jealous. <laughs> I say, no, that is my nickname. <laughs> so, all right. So Clifton Strengths. And not only that, I want you to know that every single Wharton undergraduate, that's 540 and then in the, incom- in the incoming class, takes the Clifton Strengths. <laughs> And they awesome. and they then sit down in their teams and together talk about their strengths. They try to give each other some feedback on uh, their strengths in action, and they think collectively as a team about what particular strengths they share in common. 
and then how they might deploy those strengths on the particular team project that they're doing. So I just want to just give you a shout out and you know and a thank you for all all of your good all of your good work. <laughs> well, what of her for other strengths that. is gratitude. I'm, I'm glad they're putting it to work. You know the best. <laughs> The best compliment our research team can get is when we hear about people applying our work. So it's that's like the best the best it can get right there. Very good. But I do have a couple follow-up questions, if I may, because uh, the, and these are some questions that students ask me. So I'm going to ask them of you. Um, you know, when we I, I I really do believe in leading with your strengths, and my way of thinking about it is that you know we do have weaknesses, we do have foibles. We do our best to kind of quiet them, um, minimize them, but lead with the strength. So sometimes students want to know uh, of those items on the many strengths that we can have, are those weaknesses or are they just simply not salient strengths? So how do you think about that? I would think of them more as as non-strengths. They only, nothing really becomes a weakness until it's misapplied or, Mm -hmm. you know, and even a, even a strength, if you misapply it, could become a weakness, right? So yes. It, the the strengths <laughs> allow us to know who we are, and then we have to really think hard about how we apply them effectively to get to the outcomes that we're trying to get to. So a weakness is just a, you know, a, a misapplication of, of who we are and, and a lack of maybe partnering with the right people. And I know Jeff will smile at this because my dear friend Marcy, a clinical psychologist who Jeff sometimes refers to as my imaginary friend Marcy. No one's ever met her. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Says that I have an overdeveloped super ego. <laughs> and all that means is responsibility notched up just a little too high. <laughs> all right. So I'm well acquaint- acquainted with uh, strengths on overdrive as well. So one more follow-up question, and then I'll hand it back to to Jeff. Okay. So we have strengths and then non-strengths. We want to be careful about not going into overdrive on our, our strengths. Um how do you respond to uh, those like my students will sometimes say, well, listen, I, you know, I took the test, but, you know, how do I know that it's accurate? I'm just putting in stuff. <laughs> and then I get uh-huh. I get this report back. It says these are my five strengths. How do I know they really are? So how do you respond to that? That's a reasonable question. Very fair. Um, so we, we have really spent decades on the measurement side of this, thinking about what questions to ask, why we ask certain questions. You notice on Clifton Strengths in particular, you have paired comparisons that aren't really necessarily opposites. Hmm. Some of them you might perceive as closer to opposites, but you've got two two pairs of, of things that you might naturally uh, might naturally occur to you during the day in, ter- in terms of opportunities, and you, you're more likely to select one than the other. Um, and so it, it the, the method of measurement means that we're, we're just finding out what you really lead with. And so we ask multiple uh, questions around each of the 34 themes, and we, we add those up and use you know, measurement-based math, uh, mathematical formulas to, to produce a reliable score for each theme. And then we also, what we do is we follow up with people. Many people retake Clifton strengths. In fact, thousands of people have, and we've been able to test, the, do, conduct what we call test-retest studies, hmm across time. And we find that while no measurement is perfect and will produce the same exact same result, you get the themes that appear at the top uh, yeah. tend to appear at the top on the retake and the themes that appear at the bottom right. tend to appear at the bottom on the retake. And so the, the test retest reliabilities are quite high. Um, that said, we would never say that people don't change or that the measurement is perfect. There is no perfect measurement in our field, but we continually 
refine it, and we've been working on it for a lot of decades. And, um, and we also listen to people in terms of the feedback they give us. And uh, we, we also looked at how the instrument compares to other instruments that are out there. So you conduct these studies we call convergent validity studies and I look at it a lot of different ways. But um, let's, let's just say we put a lot of effort into the, the math side of it. Yeah, very good. All right, Jeff, back to you. <laughs> All right. So I think we want to turn our attention uh, now to the new book, Jim. And, and this is uh, Jim Harder that we're talking with and his co-author, uh, co-author Jim Clifton, the book, again, is entitled It's the Manager, and the, the subtitle is Gallup Finds That the Quality of Managers and Team Leaders is the Single Biggest Factor in Your Organization's Long-Term Success. Um, the book also goes on to tell us that this is based on Gallup's uh, largest global study of the future of work. And so, mm-hmm. Jim, if you would, could you just contextualize for us a little bit this book within the context of the global study and, and what it is you're um, you know, both investigating and maybe starting to understand about the future of work? Yeah, and so so you both mentioned early on that, that – uh, We've produced a lot of other works, so you might ask, well, why did we produce this book when we've, we've, we've studied management and organizations for quite some time? We've seen a huge change in the recent decade um, that I think we've all kind of noticed. We've seen increases in uh, diversity in workplaces, mm-hmm. more remote working, uh, more matrixed organizations, you know, where people are working on multiple teams with multiple team leaders. Of course, a lot more digitization that's changing the nature of work. We bring our work with us on our mobile technology a lot of the times. Um, there's more gig jobs now. Mm-hmm. Workplace flexibility is the most desired perk now among workers. So workers expect a trade-off between with the you know the fact they're carrying their work around with them. Um, they expect it somewhat of a trade-off there. And at the same time, we know there's been big advances in the science of management, but our data would suggest that the, the practices of management have been relatively stagnant. They haven't advanced along with the science. And so we wanted to learn what, what do organizations need to do to match up with this new workforce who's actually asking for something somewhat different than what we've been asking for in the past. Mm. Um, and so that that's really the, what the book is about. But our big finding was that organizations to change cultures effectively – in the direction that aligns with this new workforce, need to w- move from a culture of bosses to a culture of coaches. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the central takeaway finding. But then there's a lot of, you know, we've got 52 chapters that go into different levels of depth on uh, various topics related to that. Yeah, and and as a, you know, as, as again, a, a longtime user of Gallup studies, I, I appreciated that while you're saying 52 chapters, they're, they're bite size. So you can <laughs> you can get in, get the conclusions, and and um, you know, and, and really move on to the next thing. Uh, um, when we first received the book, uh, uh, I think our Patty, our program manager, said to me multiple times, um, "This is not meant to be read from cover to cover. It's meant to be used as a reference book." Uh, and and I, I certainly appreciate the way the, the book's been laid out here. Um, when so I, I want to go maybe explore both the statements that you were making there, because they they were two of the things that really drew me out. Um, You talked about a lot of the ways that the nature of the work environment is changing um, and and what's changing in the workplace when, you know, based on what you're seeing from your data, are you anticipating that 
that these trends, things like remote working and digitization and the use of mobile technology and gig jobs, um, are these trend lines that will continue in the direction that they've been continuing or are you anticipating you know, further disruption? I think in some areas there's likely to be further disruption. Um, of course, digitization will continue to change how people do their work, and so mm-hmm. that's why it's so it's so important that we're close to the people that we're working with, so that we we can redesign jobs, you know, and develop people continuously. It's unfortunate that as people get older in organizations, they have less chances to learn and grow and develop. Um, so we've got to fix that, and um, you know, as jobs change, we've got to rethink what development looks like, and it's going to have to be more continuous. Mm-hmm. So I think digitization is one that's going to continue. I, you know, AI and um, all kinds of technology mm-hmm. will affect um, different jobs, you know, a whole host of jobs differently. But uh, organizations really need to, be, need to be on the forefront of those changes and have people ready to to have their jobs reskilled, so to speak. Probably not, and most of them probably won't be just absolute changes in jobs, more so uh, – more so ongoing kind of adjustments to the technology changes. Um, so I think that's one that will um, – we've, see, we've seen increases in, in matrix working in organizations. So um, that's one, and it affects different, you know, workplace elements differently. Um, remote working has continued to be on the rise. I would expect that it might might continue that direction. We'll be updating the, those statistics uh, this coming year, mm-hmm. but, but it has been on the rise in, in recent years. And it's interesting, and I I, um, I want to spend we'll, – we'll go to a break in a little bit here, um, and I want to spend much of the second half talking about the major conclusion that you've already offered us, right, that it's, it's a transition from boss to coach, um, which is what the workplace is really call, calling for. Um, but one of the things that I'm struck by, and I and I think I'm struck by it because, again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it in your conclusions here. I'm also living it um, as we – live in a world which um, encourages or demands flexibility and features matrix workplaces and um, has this kind of always-on mentality to it, um, it presents a lot of challenges in, in just creating consistent interactions between supervisors and employees. Um, and And so – you know, one of the things I'm really curious about is you, you know, as, as we start to turn towards this notion of, of boss as coach, um, is if if you feel like there are elements of workplace evolution which will support this role evolution that you're talking about or, or if there are really hurdles that have to be um, – you know, have to be surmounted in order to be able to develop the kinds of coach coaching relationships that you're advocating for here. I think that uh, all those things we talked about, uh, you know, the, the flexibility, the uh, digitization, the matrix, the remote working, um, all, all of those are reasons why that movement from boss to coach is so urgent. We've got a what a coach is. The coach is someone who sets clear expectations, involves people in setting their goals. Um, has continuous conversations, really important, often most difficult for organizations to make that shift, yeah. ongoing conversations, and then ac- accountability. So if you think about those three things um, as, as kind of requirements for coaching, uh, you've got to get those right, and, and the role of manager becomes even more important than ever with all these complexities that we just listed. 
So over to you, Anne. All right. Very good. Well, Jim, uh, Jeff brought up the important topic of moving from boss to coach. And you had a great response. You said the the coach's responsibility is to set expectations, to communicate those expectations, and to hold people accountable. And do you know who I thought of, Jeff, when Jim said that? Was none other than Mike Yuseem. Mm. Because Mike has a quote, and it's a quote that's um, wonderful and at the same time a little annoying because I wish that I had said it. <laughs> but Mike said it first, and, and so I have to just bring it bring it to life here. Mike has a great expression. He says, leadership is at its best when the vision is strategic, the voice persuasive, and the results tangible. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? That Jim's telling us that's the job of a leader and of a coach. So now my hard question here is, okay, how do we go about doing that? And maybe do you have an example of when you have seen boss to coach, um, you know, come to life in, in front of your eyes. Yeah, I, I see. We tend to see um, boss to coach come to life through five different conversations, five different types of conversations that coaches have with with uh, the people that they manage. And all of them kind of center around thinking about the person from a developmental standpoint. Uh, Don Clifton used to say that um, work shouldn't be about just getting work done through people. It should be about getting people done through work. And those five conversations really start with a role in relationship orientation, where you're, it's a, that's a slowdown conversation. There's, there's kind of two conversations on the end of the five that are slowdown conversations. The rest of them are more kind of those ongoing ones you're talking about that are between expectations and, uh, and accountability. But, um, Role and relationship orientation is really about understanding and appreciating the strengths of the person, um, starting to build some engagement and collaboration between them, helping them think about their future early on. Um, where ongoing or onboarding programs tend to go wrong is they don't help people see their future during the onboarding program, or in many cases they don't help people see their strengths. But uh, if, if people can't see their future right away, or at least see their possibilities, it doesn't mean that has to be perfectly laid out, but see what some of their possibilities are, that's important. So what's their job look like? What's their future look like? Then there's uh, more kind of day-to-day conversations, week-to-week. Um, one of them is like a quick connect. It's just a short 5- to 15-minute conversation. It might be an email. It might be a phone call. It could be a hallway conversation. What's going on? How are you doing? It's basically mm-hmm. your, your goal is to convey that the person matters, right? Um, the, the, worst, the worst case for anybody is to be ignored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> focusing on someone's weakness actually is a little bit better than being ignored for some right. reason in humans. Um, then there's check-ins. These can be scheduled 30 minutes or so. Um, I'm getting very tangible here. Oh, this is good. Um, check-ins, uh, and those are scheduled where you're t- touch ba- touching base on expectations. You might have to reset some priorities. Um, think about when you don't reset a priority, it just kind of lingers there, and you wait you know, f- for a half a year, and then suddenly you realize the person wasn't even working on their, the, uh, some, some, some activities that would help the organization <laughs> improve. But uh, it's a touch base. You look, look at their workload, their goals, their needs, their, their successes, their barriers, and you help them out. And then uh, there's developmental coaching is the fourth one. That's where you can change entire careers in a 10-minute conversation, or it could be longer, 30 minutes to an hour. Now, you think about a developmental conversation that that you attempt to do a a critique on somebody, but you haven't done the previous three conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that, of course, there's going to be some resentment to that. But if you do those previous three, there's trust. You know my strengths. You know me as an individual. You're in it for the right reasons. You can you can critique me, and I'm fine with it. It could change my career. Um, so those developmental ones are really important. And then the, the last one is what we call progress reviews. I'd argue they should be at least semi-annual at minimum. And they're, it's not a surprise. They already know how they're performing. You're thinking about their future. You're thinking about their purpose, their goals, their metrics, their development, their strategy, their team. And you're thinking about their life. Hmm. Um, so those are kind of some tangible ways that people move from boss to coach, I think. That's great. Really, really great. And I'm just thinking to myself that each of those conversations absolutely critical and invaluable and then being disciplined to actually um you know schedule them or have them in an impromptu way just to be intentional about all five of them takes some discipline as a manager yeah it does it takes some practice we found the best ways for managers um to really have a light bulb go on mo- moment is to actually have education and training where they have, a, they have a chance to practice those conversations with people. Um, you can think about someone who's been managing someone for five years, um, and they just start doing these things suddenly, and they haven't done them before. <laughs> you know, they, they, yeah. it might, might feel a little odd <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the employee. It might, you know, might feel awkward. But if they you know, start with the strengths of the individual, that changes the conversation too. Then they're having a different kind of conversation. They know that person in a different way. And um, so that's the, the strengths piece you've been talking about is really a, a path to efficiency. It's a, it's a shortcut, I'd call it, mm-hmm. um, to get to know someone. And it, it opens up that trust uh, valve, I guess. Very good. Let's, if we can, hone in for just a moment on the <clears throat> developmental conversation, because I think our listeners might agree that that could be one of the uh, more challenging ones, you know, one to have. So do you have any advice on how to do that one well? The first thing is if you if you really want to develop somebody, you need to give them immediate feedback. You can't wait. You can't hold it back. Um, think about a sports team as an analogy. You know, you got a coach out there and, uh, you know, a play just happened or a game was just finished and they hold back their feedback until the end of the year, halfway through the year on the person. It just doesn't work. Right. They need a immediate feedback so they know how they're doing and it's got to be it's got to be authentic feedback but it it should be strengths based too it should be um it should have a foundation in their strengths so if you know that person you know their strengths you know how to give them feedback more effectively um in some cases development means you've got to schedule some things like some skills training hmm. um or you might need to schedule some strengths coaching training or um you might need to schedule some engagement action planning where they actually have a scheduled time when you're sitting down and talking about the engagement of the team with the team members. Mm-hmm. So some of it should be scheduled, I think, but um, the, the feedback on their performance should be very, very near term. And are you talking about weaknesses at all in this in this uh, developmental coaching? Sure. And the, the, the reality is if, 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 uh, if you don't have those other ongoing conversations um, and you don't start with the strengths basis, then those, those critiques can have some pushback to them, right? Uh, people can close those off after a while because mm-hmm. that's all they're hearing are the critiques. But if you start with a strengths basis and get to know that person as an individual, then the door's wide open for, for good critique. They know that you're in it for their best interest, and it, it works very effectively. So, yes, absolutely. We all have things we need to improve on. But if we can think about how we improve on them through what we do best and how to partner with other people effectively, then it works. 
we may have to role play, Jeff. <laughs> How about the, that? The practice, the <laughs> practice. practice would definitely help. <laughs> it right? would. It would. Yes. <laughs> Thank well, you, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, and let me uh, just remind our listeners briefly that uh, I'm Jeff Klein, and that's Anne Greenhall, and we're talking with Jim Harder, who is Chief Scientist, Workplace for Gallup, and co-author of the brand new book, It's the Manager. Um, If you have a management question, you can give us a call at 1-844-942-7866. That's 844-WHARTON. And if you don't, or you're not sure you want to ask a question, (laughs) that's just fine, because Anne and I have... Plenty. Yeah, dozens, <laughs> dozens. if not hundreds. <laughs> right. and, I don't know. I think we probably only have like 12 minutes left, so we'll ask them, we'll ask them quickly. Um, and this is Sirius XM Channel 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School, and our favorite show, yes. Leader, Leadership in Action. That's right. All right. So, um, Jim, your comment you made to Anne sort of triggered my next question, which was um, – you know, if, if you've been managing someone for five years and all of a sudden um, you decide to implement this, uh, you know, this coaching conversation framework, yeah, you, know, you should probably do it with a little warning and, <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, and some buy-in and some signaling. And what it made me think about was, um, you know, the, I, I think these are conclusions that were first published in, in strength-based leadership. Um, but one of my kind of passions, um, both as an educator and as a scholar, is is to think about followers. Um, and there's that wonderful section in Strength-Based Leadership, which um, summarizes really what followers need. Um, and and so, A, I, I wanted to ask you if the, the new study that you're working on will update any of those findings um, and the the uh, the the four main things that that Gallup was concluding followers needed were trust, compassion, stability, and hope. Mm-hmm. Right, and and then so a if if you know you want to give us the scoop um, on any new findings that are coming out around followers, great. The the question that I would ask within this is I've always I mean the finding around hope was just so compelling when we th- when you know you were analyzing employee engagement um, and and what role is manager as coach what role are they playing um, in trying to create that context of hope for their employees well I think it's uh, extremely important and th- the way I think they can get at it effectively is through the last thing we're talking about and that's development thinking about the person and their future all the time mm-hmm. and helping them see their future. The number one reason that people leave organizations right now is, is career development. Mm. And, and 90% of people who change jobs change organizations. So that's unfortunate. That tells me that people are not seeing, they don't have the hope or that they can't see their future in the organization. Mm-hmm. When organizations get it right, it makes them much more resilient to, to threats that enter in. When we've studied our data all the way back through a couple of recessions in the past, we found that people that that perceive that, that that someone encourages their development, they don't feel the threat of the recession as much because they know they're part of the solution. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not us versus them. It's not me being a victim. It's it's me knowing I'm a part of something that I can help. You know, get us through. Um, so I think that's a really that's really interesting role of, of coaches and managers is is to develop a sense of 
you know, develop, people feel like they're developing, developing and progressing mm-hmm. continuously. Pursuit, I think, is part of our, is part of human nature. If when we stop pursuing, we probably start dying a little bit. Yeah, and and you know, uh, along with, well, I, I guess implied within seeing your future within an organization is really being able to understand where the organization is going. And so, yeah. you know, how how much of that do you uh, – This is I apologize. This is loaded in the way. Uh, I know how <laughs> I would answer this, but I can't think of another way to ask it. Um, uh, how much of that responsibility to paint a picture of the organization's future do you place with the manager versus, you know, executive leadership, um, you know, et cetera? Well, it uh, it uh, of course starts with executive leadership, yeah. and they, they've got to have a clear picture, and it cascades from there. Um, I think where a lot of organizations start falling apart on that is the executive leadership team could have a very clear picture, they could have a great mission, they could have a great vision, mm-hmm. but it breaks down when managers themselves aren't developing. Um, another statistic for you: three fourths of managers will tell us that they suffer from burnout at least some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a higher rate than the people they manage. So how do you expect managers to be absorbing that and communicating that that purpose, vision, uh, strategy effectively if they themselves aren't developing because they can't because they're burning out, right? Mm-hmm. So and they they also aren't going to reach across the lines to other managers, cooperate with them, cooperate, t- tell their teams to cooperate with other teams, encourage them to. Um, and so that to me that was the biggest surprise in our in our findings recently was that managers have higher stress levels than the people they manage. And if we don't get manager development right, it's really hard to get people development right. And I mean, this this category of manager, when, you know, I I know it shows up differently in different organizations. um, But but how much do you feel like organizations are or should prioritize management? And and how much of, you know, how many managers are really player coaches as opposed to just being coaches? <laughs> well, I think it really depends on the jobs in the industry. There's a lot of supervisors who are, who are player coaches. Um, and so, you know, and it, again, depends on the job types a lot. Yeah. How much should they prioritize managing? I think it should be a really high priority because managers are the conduit to creating change. Every organization wants culture change, and we've got to we, utilize – a man, develop managers effectively so that they can create culture change in the direction that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm not. I don't want to discount though the role of the individual. You know, yeah. if, if if things are running right, you've got individuals who are initiating some of these conversations with their manager who have they have such an open dialogue that they're going to bring ideas that are from the front line that the manager could never figure out themselves because they don't see everything. Yeah. So so the the individual initiating is also important, but the manager has to take the lead in setting the tone. So if one of our if we have a listener out there now, which I'm sure we do who's you know saying to himself or herself, um wow, these are exactly the kinds of conversations I was having I'd like to have with my manager. Um, Any tips for them as to how to initiate this, you know, aside from anonymously gifting this book to your manager? (laughs) That's a lovely idea, Jeff. Slide it under the door. Some other way, it's too thick. But but, uh, I I think, you know, very foundationally, I would would recommend starting – 
by knowing your strengths and maybe you know you haven't fortunately your manager may have not officially measured their strengths but mm-hmm. kind of get to know what they do best um and when you get to know them and they get to know you a bit and, and feel you know share information with them but get you know it foundationally it's really about two people creating more effective ways of talking with each other and i think mm-hmm. that starts with strengths i mentioned earlier that Don Clifton started this work way back when because he wanted to improve productive conversations. It wasn't just a test. It's, it's um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's a starting point. All right, and it it, it really does. Um, I'm, and I'm so glad you brought it back to you know the the individual and what the individual can do because one of the things that I've um, started to believe from my many conversations with the managers and executives which come through our executive education division is that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's really fundamentally the relationship between managers and employees, between leaders and followers, um, that should be our primary unit of analysis. That if we if we can understand what qualities exist in those relationships and know that they're going to move back and forth, right? I mean, you know, I, I always use the example again from from the strengths based leadership uh, Gallup book, uh, Jim, that trust is one of those qualities that if it exists in a in a relationship, it's moving in both directions, and it's not <laughs> simply employee trusting manager or follower trusting leader. Yeah, and I think trust starts with respect. Yeah, um, and so uh, how do you get to respect quickly? Well, you've got to get to know the person and what they're about and what's important to them, and so that that's that's foundational. I think also to help the individual think about if you put your what you're what you're suggesting in the context of performance. So you start to build a relationship, and then you put what you're suggesting in the context of how to help the organization improve. Mm-hmm. Then you know most managers want to improve performance. You know they're held accountable for performance. So I think that helps a lot too. Yeah. So Jim, somehow we've arrived <laughs> yeah. at the end of our hour here. Um, so I want to start off and just say thank you for joining us on the program this evening. And and then could you um, could you tell our listeners how they can find more information about both this book as well as Gallup's work? Yeah, we've got a website, uh, gallup, G-A-L-L-U-P dot com, where we we post on an ongoing basis all of our latest research findings, um, short articles, uh, technical reports, all kinds of information, including uh, you can get to our different books that we have on there as well. And, and other, we have perspectives and reports that we produce on an ongoing basis on the state of the workplace. All right. Well, thanks again, Jim. We'd love to have you back on the show and continue this conversation. Uh, And to our listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 